What's going on, everybody out there in the universe? Thank you so much for tuning in and listening and supporting the podcast for the universe. It's the Energies Love Podcast, obviously. Go check us out at energieslovepodcast.com or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those different places. You know, you can find the podcast. 2017 is turning out to be a wonderful year for the podcast. We've had some great episodes and we've got some more in the pipeline, I suppose, is the way to say it or phrase it. So if you are a new listener to the podcast, thank you. And if you've been with us since the beginning, thank you, thank you. But as always, we encourage everybody listening to go out and share it with somebody. So friends, family members, coworkers, it doesn't matter who, let them know about the Energies Love podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Crystal Water Float Spa. Crystal Water Float Spa is the nation's only distributor for the Dream Pod. Now, if you're new to floating or if you've never heard of floating before, go to crystalwaterfloat.com or go to dream-pod.com. The reason we talk about floating so much on the podcast is because honestly, it's a wonderful way to enhance your spiritual practice, your meditation practice, whatever it may be. When you lay back and float, you really get the opportunity to dive deeper into yourself, into the universe, into the cosmos of whatever is spinning out there. That's why I'm such a big proponent of floating and absolutely love it when I get to lay back and float. At Crystal Water, you do get to float in the dream pod. So come out to Crystal Water and hop in one of the tanks. Learn more about the Dream Pod at dream-pod.com. If you go there, you can check out their newest tank. It's called the VMAX. It's one of the largest pods on the market today. Then when you are ready to purchase your own float tank, now granted, you may not be purchasing it for your home. You might, which is awesome, and that's cool. But maybe you're going to open up your own float center. Now you have the opportunity to get that tank here locally in the United States. So it's a wonderful opportunity for people looking to open up their own float centers. So remember dream-pod.com, learn all about the dream pod, research floating if you haven't, go and float if you haven't, go find a tank or a center near you and hop inside because I guarantee you're going to love it. On today's episode, I had the wonderful opportunity, absolutely wonderful opportunity. I really liked this guy. His name's Anthony Scaletta. Hopefully I pronounced his name correctly. I'm pretty sure I did. But Anthony's from Pennsylvania, and he is a yoga instructor as well as a Reiki master and a certified crystal healer. Anthony's got a really interesting story, which he talks about in the episode. He was in the U.S. Navy back in late 90s, early 2000s. And after serving a few years in the military, he got out and experienced some difficulty moving through life through with PTSD, anxiety, depression, all those kinds of types of things and all those different sorts of issues. But one of the things that helped him move through it was his practice of yoga and his spiritual practice, really. So we got into a lot of really interesting topics during the episode. And one of the cool things is Anthony now helps veterans through the practice of yoga. And Anthony's been able to take what he does, turn it into his passion and help other people through that. So I was excited to have him come on the show and he did not disappoint in any way, shape or form. He was a great guest. You guys are going to love this episode. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the Podcast for the Universe with my super kick-ass guest, Anthony. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love Podcast. Energy is Love. The Energy is the Love Podcast. The Energy is Love Podcast. Energy is Love. The Energy is Love Podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love Podcast. 
Well, good morning, Anthony. How are you doing, man? Good morning, Craig. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I guess it's not really morning anymore where you are, right? Uh, we're, we still got about 40 minutes left of morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have asked you before we push record, but do you go by Anthony or Tony? Uh, honestly, either one. I, I, I get both, but uh, Anthony's fine. Okay. And then I'm going to have you pronounce your last name so I don't butcher it. Sure. It's Scaletta. S-C-A-L-E-T-T-A. Scaletta. Scaletta. Yeah. And you're from Pennsylvania, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Sweet. Uh, little little mid-sized city called Johnstown. It's about 60 miles east of Pittsburgh. How long have you lived there? Um, I, I grew up here and then uh, left home at 17, came back uh, about six or so years later, stayed for a little while, took off, and then I'm back. So keep, it's, where, it's where I'm from. It's where I grew up. It just keeps pulling me back in. Sometimes it has a way to do that. I kind of have the same thing with where I'm from. Yeah. You move away and then undoubtedly end up coming back for something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I trust, I trust in the, the process that this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Well, Anthony, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I've got a whole bunch of questions that I kind of wanted to fire off at you, but initially you were in the Navy, correct? Yes. So I want to go back to that point because there's some things I think that are uh, interesting and kind of important that I want to talk about. So how old were you when you enlisted? Um, well, actually, first, I, I did want to say that uh, I am I am very grateful. I just wanted to open with that uh, with with a little acknowledgement of the fact that we are able to connect despite our technology issues in the beginning. Um, I, I think that it's it's really important to be able to have these conversations. So I'm I'm honored that you've invited me on to be a guest and to share my story. So even if there are questions that you know might seem like they're not appropriate to be answered, I, I think it's uh, it's important that we're having these conversations. So um, yeah, just wanted to open from that space of acknowledging that I am both humbled and honored to be a guest on this podcast. It's the Energy is the Love podcast, and it's, uh, you know, the podcast for the universe. So I, I like the, to think that we're having these conversations, and that's all it is. It's just a dialogue. I, I'm not claiming to have the answers to anything. I just like to ask questions and have dialogue, and I like the idea of the, these vibrations are being sent out into the universe. So, so thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, man. That's a great little uh, ad there for the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I was just going to say. I, I mean, that's what I was. I was thinking because I was. I was mentioning how technology allows us to connect, and even though we're not, and you know, we're pretty much on opposite sides of the country, and then, and then there's people from all over the world that are going to be able to listen to this, and then it's how the conversation grows, and these conversations are are part of this this global shift that's happening. So, um, yeah, I just I just wanted to acknowledge that that I think that what we're doing is important and I, I'm really honored that, that I'm here. Thank you. Well, it's kind of what we want to do with the whole podcast, you know, and that back in the day when we started it and everything, it was really just, um, I just want, like you said, you know, just to have a conversation, just to give people different thoughts and ideas and different things to look at and ponder and think about and um, all with that whole purpose and goal of just kind of in some subtle way shifting somebody's vibration or thought process for the day. So. Exactly. And I, I, I applaud you because I, I think this podcast does that. What I, what I particularly like is that you're 
you're willing to use this as a container to embrace the things that we might call woo-woo and to, to get in the weeds a little bit. And uh, it's, it's nice to have a, a space to be able to do that, even though we're, we're still trying to get to this question of how I ended up in the Navy. But <laughs> <laughs> that, again, the, the tangents that this podcast can go on are, are part of what I love about it. I, I, am a, I am a fan. That's why I consider it such an honor to be on here. You've had some really amazing guests and the conversations that have been had have definitely helped to raise my vibration and have inspired me to keep asking questions. So, uh, yeah, we can we can get to the get to the Navy part now if you're ready. <laughs> well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. So, so tell me about the Navy. When did you enlist? Uh, so, I I actually enlisted while I was still in high school, my senior year. Uh, I was I was ready to go. I um I as I mentioned, I grew up in a somewhat smaller town, and um I just I just knew there was a calling to to go see the world and get out of here, and. Uh, I, I joined as soon as I turned 17 in the delayed entry program. So my entire senior year of high school, I was I was set to ship off as soon as I graduated. And then I uh, actually turned 18 in boot camp. And uh, I, I why did I why did I choose to serve? Um, uh, probably the, the number one reason is my my main uh, figure that I looked up to uh, a male figure in my life growing up was my grandfather. And he was a World War Two Marine veteran. And, uh, he was, he was wounded purple heart and he was very, very proud of his service, even though he never talked about it very much. And he was, it wasn't even that it was so much that he served in the military. It's like his, his idea of service to others infused every aspect of his life because he was really active and volunteered with a lot of organizations. So when I was a little kid spending time with him, we were constantly going from one nonprofit to another, uh, and I'd be helping him volunteer. So he just, he really infused me with this idea of, uh, serving beyond, beyond just, uh, my immediate needs. So I think that was the main impetus for me wanting to, to serve. And then, uh, somehow, some way at that young age, when of course at like 17, 16, 17, I, I thought I had the answers. Um, I, I knew that, I knew that if I went straight to, to college, that it would just be an absolute waste of time and money. Cause I, I just, I needed structure. Uh, so somehow I was mature enough to know that I was immature, too immature to, to go to school at that point. So it just, it seemed like, seemed like the right, the right fit for me at that time. So because you, I mean, you know, enlisting kind of right out of high school, right during that time period where, you know, there's so much going on in your life. And like you said, you think you know everything, but you really don't. <laughs> um, was there any aspect of you that were you trying to get out of a situation or an environment or run from anything in some sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes people will use it as a, as an opportunity to escape from whatever their life has brought them and things like that. Was that the case at all? Um, you know, I'm sure on, on some level that was there. I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that it was that apparent then. I, I think later in life, post military service, I was taking those actions to, to run from things. Um, there it was more that it was kind of an open sense of adventure. And, and what really happened, uh, was what it was really about too on, on a deeper level was, um, I had a chip on my shoulder. Cause again, at that age, yeah, I, I thought I knew everything. And only a few years later, I figured out I knew absolutely nothing, but, uh, I just, I felt like I wanted to show the world that what I was made of. And I particularly joined the Navy to go into special forces, which is, uh, everyone knows that the Navy SEALs, my, my neighbor, um, in the house I grew up in was in the, uh, EOD explosive ordnance disposal of the Navy, which is kind of, they, they work with the SEAL teams. 
and he was home on leave for like a good chunk of time the summer before my senior year and hanging out with him was that was kind of like okay if i'm gonna do this i want to i want to be part of the the elite um so that that was that was the other thing behind all that is i i felt i guess i had something to prove to myself uh what, what i was made of so i joined the navy specifically to uh try and become a navy seal and uh basically what ended up happening was the, the way they did this back then now it's completely different they have a they call it a pipeline where they they start recruiting guys in high school and they start training them from that whole process this was back in the late 90s and uh, at that time you just in boot camp you asked for permission to go take the physical fitness test the screening test to get into buds it's called this the seal training program and if you pass it they flag you so that when you get out of boot camp and you go through your initial training to get your your trade in the Navy, then you automatically get an opportunity to go to SEAL training. So what happened to me was uh, I, I passed the test for SEAL training and no one up until this point and this whole year of being in the program to come into the Navy, no one ever told me uh, that your eyesight had to be 2020 without without correcting it with glasses or contact lenses. And it, the language in was always that it could be correctable, and I thought that meant as long as you were able to wear contacts, you were okay, but that makes sense that in operational environments, you can't really wear contacts or glasses. So the, the recruiter for the SEAL teams said, well, here's what most guys do that are able to pass the test but can't get in. They go into the special boat teams, which of course – I had no idea what that was, didn't even know it existed. Naval Special Warfare has the SEAL teams, which everyone knows of, and then we call the, the red-headed stepchild is the special boat teams. And we are the platforms via waterborne environments, small, fast attack boats that insert and extract SEAL platoons and other special operations forces in waterborne environments, either river or uh, on the seas. I, I ended up in the... Um, nautical environment so there, there are guys that work on the rivers but uh so that's what happened in boot camp they said the special boat teams will accept you into their training without your eyesight having to be perfect and what what a lot of guys do then is they spend some time in the special boat teams and then they choose to get corrective eye surgery and go on to seal training if they choose so that that's what happened i i went into special boat team training which that job is actually called SWIC, which is an acronym for special warfare combatant crewman made it through that training and actually did have the corrective eye surgery. But by the time that was all said and done, I, I was, uh, I was kind of ready to, to move on from that experience anyway. So I ended up serving a total of almost five years. I did two deployments to central command, which was in and around Iraq conducting uh, maritime interdiction operations. So enforcing what at the time were the sanctions against uh, how much oil could be, brought out of the area of Iraq. And so there was a lot of smuggling going on to sell the oil on the black market and smuggling of other contraband like weapons and drugs. Um, so I, I basically spent two deployments over there uh, playing pirate, running around in the darkness of night and <laughs> taking over ships and taking control of them and then turning them back over to, I don't know, to who knows who. And then the same ship would be out there the next night running something else. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was I felt like a, I, you know, and here I was young at that point. My first deployment, I was 20. And on the second one, I was uh, 20. I think I turned 22 on the second one. So, again, still young and not knowing anything and really starting to question and kind of begin on this spiritual path and just wondering what the hell I was doing over there. Um, 
And, you know, I, I wouldn't change any of it. I, I would I'd do it all again in a heartbeat for no other reason than, than the brotherhood and the, the relationships I had with the guys I served with. But uh, it's all been part of my path. My, my service uh, broke me pretty, pretty severely. Um, the boats that I operated, uh, they, they're, they're, they're small. They're actually a racing boat and they're about a little shorter than 40 feet long. And every time that they hit a wave, they launch, get airborne and slam back down. And, uh, so on, on the open seas, that's literally every couple seconds. And it was a big problem with guys getting really injured doing this. So they started while I was in doing it, they started measuring the G force, the amount of shock that was being transferred into the body from these boats. And they found on like the really teeny tiny little waves, it was still a couple G force and then anywhere upwards of over 30 G force. And just to put that into perspective, the, um, Average car crash is supposed to be around 12 G-force. So every couple of seconds, depending on the sea state, which I did my, all of my training out in the Pacific Ocean, which is a pretty unforgiving ocean, is you're just constantly battering your body and the shock is transferred through your heels, right up through your spine and out the crown of the head. Um, so I, I was young at the time and, you know, my body was taken a beating and we all know it's bad for us, but it's that it's kind of the operator mentality to just train hard and try to keep your body as fit as possible. But, uh, I got out uh, about a year, not even a full year after getting out, uh, the back pain started and I knew right away that that's what it was from. Cause it wasn't just like, Oh, my back sore. It was, it was something pretty serious. And, and that was, that was the beginning. Uh, that was really the, the marked beginning of, of the journey that I've been on ever since. And that was about 2004. Well, it's <laughs> a good answer. Um, you know, I have mixed, uh, I guess I have mixed feelings when it comes to the military and the armed forces and things like that. Not in any way, shape and form towards the people that served, um, but more in regards to uh, the overall way that, you know, our military in this country is used and all that kind of stuff. But that's a completely different topic that we're not going to go off. And I sure hope in no way, shape, or form do I ever say something or mention something that you take offense to because I think it's very honorable to serve your country in that fashion, and I applaud you for doing so. Well, thank you, and I, I do feel a certain kinship with you because I know that you were a police officer. Um, but no, I would never in any way be offended, and you're right, this isn't the forum to talk about this. There's much more interesting things we can be talking <laughs> about, but I... I I agree with your thoughts too. I, I am not, I'm not pro-military. I'm not, I'm not anti-war. I'm just, I'm just realistic of the, the world we're in and where I sit now is I'm able to connect with, um, people who have served and are, are suffering as a result of their service and give them some tools to empower them and help them on their healing journey. So I, I'm in alignment with you. Um, it's, I, I served and it's part of my path, but, um, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's kind of like a former life and, uh, it's just, it is what it is. So I, I agree with you. It's, it's definitely something to, to think about and we could have a deep discussion on it, but we, there's, there's cooler things that we could be talking about right now. For sure. Well, that's one of the things that, um, when I found you, or I guess when you found, I don't even remember how the hell we connected. Um, but when I came across your stuff and started looking through it, I, cause you do a lot of your certified yoga instructor. Um, a Reiki master, certified crystal healer, you do a bunch of cool things. But one of the things that really jumped out was the work that you do with veterans in regards to yoga. 
And so I have a question first off, because I was reading through, I don't even remember where I came across like a short bio on you. And um, they talked about you being diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Do you feel like that was directly correlated to your time in the military or more connected throughout your entire life and the things that you've been through? Uh, probably both. For for sure, my military service is created a lot of a lot of that. Um, it's you know, and it, we like to always try to dissect it and pinpoint it and figure it out. But I've I've spent a lot of time, you know, through my firsthand experience and then and then working with people. And I actually believe that just the sheer act of separating from active duty military is is a form of of trauma in its own right because you've been ripped from your tribe and for a lot of military ex-military it's all it's the only tribe they've ever known cuz cuz like me most of us serve straight out of high school so like your first world experience outside of high school is is the military and you could argue it's probably just as difficult in a different kind of way for someone who served for, for a long period of time, because it's, it's just trying to get ripped out of your tribe and then adjust to civilian life creates its own, its own list of, um, of complications. There's a, there's a disconnect, which, uh, creates a, a disease and then that can manifest in a lot of different ways. Um, I, my, for me, it, it became most apparent at first that of the physical stuff I was dealing with. And I was kind of in denial of, of the PTSD. Uh, I just didn't think it applied. And I, I kept saying, you know, I'm, it was the, the typical, uh, hyper masculine attitude of, I can fix this myself. I don't need help. So there was a lot of time in the beginning of, of just not, not wanting to really fully accept what was going on. Um, and then it's, you know, it's hard to know what's creating what, but living with pretty severe chronic pain, and PTSD, like anxiety, depression, that that's all wrapped up in there. Is the is the depression from the pain or the PTSD, or am I was I isolating myself and barricading myself in my house and not having human contact because of PTSD, because of the chronic pain, because of all of it, because I've been separated from my tribe and had no one to connect to. I, it's it's hard to really know where one begins and, and the other ends, but I, I have no doubt that um, all those things are all wrapped up in, in a result of having served and then trying to reintegrate into a quote unquote normal life, whatever that means afterward. Well, looking back, what were some of the things that you were dealing with, um, that you may not necessarily, you know, looking back is always much easier, right? You have that hindsight to go back and see the correlating connecting pieces, but what were some of the things that you were dealing with that you feel may have been, um, like if we're going to look at PTSD in just a very stereotypical way and here's some cause and effect and some reactions and some very typical symptoms or whatever the case may be, what were some of those that you kind of dealt with and faced? Um, well, the, the, the first, the first thing that I did was as soon as I separated from active duty, I, I literally picked up and, and ran as far away as I could to, to not deal with anything. Uh, so avoidance, which is a pretty common initial, uh, display of, of trauma. I, I threw on a backpack and I, I went and spent all the money I saved in the military and just traveled for a year straight in Europe. And I ended up in Northern Africa for a little while. And, uh, so that was, that was my first step. And then I came back from that and had, was just completely lost, had no idea what to do with myself. 
So I started going to college and that was when everything really crumbled. I, I felt like I was a ghost walking around on that campus. I couldn't, I was only, I mean, I was 24. It wasn't like I was that much older than the students, but we were worlds apart. I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't connect. I was constantly on edge. I was in pain. And, uh, I, I didn't really, I don't know. It's the crazy thing. Again, like you said, hindsight's 2020. I, I knew the pain, the physical pain was from my service, but all the stuff I was dealing with emotionally and mentally and just how disconnected I was, I, I didn't really, I didn't connect it to my service. And what ended up happening then was quite a few years of just continuing to try to separate myself as much as possible from having served, letting my hair and beard grow as long as possible. Um, basically trying to take on the, uh, the archetype of a, of a hippie almost to just go the complete other direction. And then it was like, it took a few years of kind of evening back out. And part of that healing process was actually fully owning that I served kind of being proud to, to be a veteran. And, and then even that was like to move beyond that too. So it's, it's been, it's been definitely a, a full decade in the making of, of ups and downs. It wasn't like it was, uh, it wasn't like at any certain point, even now that I could ever say that I've fully processed through all of it. I've, I've come a long way and it's, it's a constant, uh, learning process. But, um, some of the other things you were asking was just that, that need to isolate to completely hole up in, in my apartment or something to the point where even if uh, a family member came over to visit, I, I would refuse to open the door. Um, ju just not wanting to deal with the outside world because the outside world, was, it was too much. It was too much to have to try to interact with someone or to be out in public. Um, and a lot of this stuff was through the years. It was just, it was ups and downs, peaks and valleys. Uh, having a spiritual practice to lean into specifically, especially early on was just a, a very physical and therapeutic yoga practice that involved, uh, just getting into my body and relieving some of the pain. And I didn't know this at the time, but just being on the, on the ground, which was very soothing to my nervous system. So I think through all that, the ups and downs, the yoga was the lifeline that kind of, kind of kept me going in, in the right direction. But there were, there was lots of slips with, uh, getting into, legal trouble ending up in jail for a little time problems with drugs and alcohol and it's just been a it's been a long it's been a long journey but I, again i wouldn't change any of it because it was all it was all part of the um the obstacles that that were placed along my path as the opportunities they're really i like to say obstacles are opportunities for for growth for my own evolution and using the spiritual practice to lean into it to continue to peel back the layers and unravel and then go forward, uh, from there. So it's, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting, an interesting journey and it's, <laughs> it's, it's still, is, still unfolding. It? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm blown away by it. It's, I'm, I'm humbled, uh, to even be sitting here talking to you. I mean, I've come a long way where I, I live my life now from a spot of gratitude and feel just, um, totally, and completely in awe of the fact that I'm even here in this body, this vessel to have this experience for this short little time of a human life. Like it just blows me away. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's always, you know, we all have our stories, all of us. And, and we've all had our, our traumas and our struggles. And they're just, again, they're the opportunities. They're, they're what are pushing us to tap into this, the evolution, the evolutionary impulse of the universe to, to, to lean into it. And cause 
a lot of our suffering comes from our inability to accept the impermanence and the change that's always happening. So I, I believe the universe is, has, is sending us and definitely sent me all these things that I, I could label as challenges or obstacles, but they're really just opportunities. Opportunities for growth, huh? Yep. So a couple things. Um, first off, I think it's really when it comes to the spectrum of not just PTSD, but mental illness or whatever we want to label it as. And I think it's all asinine because for me personally, I think everybody falls on that spectrum. And okay. so I think that labeling something a mental illness is, is kind of a misnomer because I think it's just, you know, life, the, the experience of living that sometimes we get caught up and stuck in some of these places. But I think it's important, like you mentioned in the way you talked about PTSD and how a lot of times just simply leaving the military and going through that entire process can be traumatic in and of itself. Because I think it's so much, um, people don't really grasp or understand that, you know, it doesn't mean that you just went through some horrific experience and, you know, some of the kind of typical ways that people think about PTSD, it, it really can be. Oh, I guess caused by so many varying different things. And, and like you said, it's all kind of wrapped up where you couldn't really say one where one ended and one began or what was the cause of this or the outcome or it's all just that convoluted space. But um, yoga, when it came to yoga specifically, was that something that like, how did you find it? How did it find you? How did you come to it? Was it something that you had practiced before enlisting or? Did it yeah, that, that's, I, I love that you phrased it. Because it's we we like to say that you know I found something, but I I firmly do believe that the the yoga found me. Um, I had I had one or two, and I'd honestly even forgotten about it. But I, I've done a few interviews recently where people asked me if I'd ever practiced yoga on active duty. And again, this was I served between ninety eight and two thousand three, so yoga was just starting to become a little more mainstream at that point. Um, and whereas now the practices of yoga and meditation, which in also I always like to say we yoga is such a broad term that can mean anything. And meditation is yoga, but uh, we kind of talk about them as, as separate things within our, our own uh, language for reasons of just trying to differentiate it. But we're seeing now that basically mindfulness practices are being used in, in active duty settings as well. Um, so I had a, I had a very limited, there was one or two times where, uh, a guy who shared his personal yoga practice with us in lieu of our physical training for that day. But really I, I didn't find yoga while I was active duty. Um, I, I, I found it in, in my process of, uh, starting to come to terms with the fact that my body was really broken. It, it was pretty interesting because I didn't have Again, yoga wasn't, especially wasn't around in the small town I lived in for where I could just go find a teacher. I'd always been an athlete my whole life, very much active and in, in my body and was used to stretching. And when I started in this pain, it was just pretty, pretty early on, like maybe the first week or two, I was just laid up in bed and because I was, I was scared. Like I was in so much pain. I didn't know what I could do or couldn't do to aggravate it. And next thing you know, though, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, this, something's going on with my body and I need to get inside and have a conversation with it and figure out what's going on. So before I knew it, I was on the floor of my bedroom and it started as just what I would have thought of as stretching at the time. But next thing I knew pretty quickly, I was developing this little routine 
that was my way of getting out of the bed and trying to face my day. Um, I was still a full-time student at that point, but I was quickly dropping out because I, I couldn't sit in a class. I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with people. And I started to find really quickly that yoga had a, a medicinal value to me where if I, it was just like, because at that point I was still, um, I might've been prescribed some painkillers, but I was always kind of resistant to using them because of, of my history with, with abusing drugs and alcohol. And I, I found that if I would just spend even as little as 15 or 20 minutes on the floor doing what I was starting to realize was yoga, that it would shift me. It wasn't like this long lasting shift, but it was enough of a, of a, a dosage of medicine to help me get on through my day. And that just led to this, this, uh, process of self study, right? Right from the start. I didn't have a teacher or a yoga studio to go to. And it was, it was really fitting for where I was at on my journey. It's one of the aspects of the yogic practice is Svadhyaya is this self study. It's turning your sense of perception inward towards the internal experience. Um, and that's what it was. And it, you know, it started as getting on the floor and then I'd find some books. Uh, this was back in the days when it was still easier to find a VHS tape. I remember coming across a, a couple of different tapes. So for, for the first five or six years, it, it was mostly just, it was my own thing that was just kind of happening somewhat organically. I was certainly not studying with a teacher in person or anything. And did you have some greater concept of like the fact that this was a very um, important aspect of your spiritual practice or was it more or less just a physical thing in the beginning? Does that make sense? No. Like, were Yeah, you... it makes, it makes perfect sense. It, it very, it started out in the very, very beginning physically for some pain relief, but that it, it moved beyond that pretty quickly. Uh, I, I was, I was drawn to the spiritual side of it, uh, almost instantly for what it's worth. But I, I, you know, it was, it, it's, it's weird to be diving into something so deep without any, any external guidance in the wisdom that comes from, from a teacher. So there's a lot of, a lot of time spent that I probably had, had someone lovingly been pointing me in the right direction. I, I might've, I might've been, uh, making a little more headway in the direction of having a better understanding of, of the spiritual depth of the practice. But again, I trust that everything has and continues to unfold at the, the pace that it's meant to, for me to integrate, um, to integrate the teachings at the level that I'm, that I'm ready to receive them at. So it, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of maybe it was slow, but it was, it was always there and I was always curious and I, it led me to continue asking the questions. If you look back, like even further, like as a child growing up, do you feel like you had, um, a spiritual connection or some sort of, um, I don't even know spiritual because as a kid you don't you know base it off of that whole thing of like oh I'm spiritually connected to the universe as a child you just think that shit's cool and you like looking at the stars or you know playing in the dirt or saving rocks or whatever the case may be did you have that as a child growing up that you can kind of look back and remember yeah I, I agree with you that as a child we we don't separate it we're we're not so caught up in the egoic sense of self and this need to split everything, classify it and quantify it. And we just experience nature, especially. Um, so growing up where I did, I, I did have the privilege of spending a lot of time in nature. And as a kid, you don't even think about it. It just feels right. I mean, I, to be outside in the woods playing all day 
well into the dark. That was just natural. And to just know that something about that felt right. Um, my, my frame of reference for spirituality, if we want to call it that, uh, was Catholicism. I did grow up in a very Catholic setting. And by that, I mean, that was, uh, all 12 years of, of school were in a private Catholic school. I was an altar boy, the, the whole thing. Um, and that was just, that was just my parents making this decision that was passed on by them, par- by their parents. I, I'm pretty Italian. So it just, you know, Catholicism was a big part of being Italian. And it was just pretty, pretty much a given that that, that was the path. And it was just, and, and that's what it was. It provided me with a framework to begin to think about these things. And, I know it was probably my sophomore, junior, probably junior year of high school. So after being spoon fed, you know, in school, all this religious ideals my whole life, at a certain point when I was around 15, 16, I just started to really question everything. But I felt, I felt very, um, of course, I felt ashamed of it because that's what the religion was telling me to not question. And I didn't really feel like I had anyone to talk to about it. So that's if I could place within my upbringing when that point was, then I really started to like want to think outside the box and, and start seeking. Uh, that 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 would have been it probably sometime around my junior year of high school. So I think that because for me it was kind of the same thing. That's right around this time frame when I started to um, question things on a deeper level and look at things. I guess, differently than I ever had before. And it makes me wonder because I sit and think about like, um, you know, as a kid, like you said, you just take, you don't necessarily think about things. You just realize that it's good or that, you know, you don't have to have context of it to know that, um, that this is life or this is what I'm going through. You know, it's just so much easier as a child. And I don't know if it has to do more with like the way that our brains develop as we grow or, um, you know, our upbringing and the way that we're raised, but I can look at my kids right now. We've got three teenage girls that are all right in that range of, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And they're all doing the same thing. They're all questioning and thinking and asking all of these, um, these big questions about life. And a lot of times, you know, the answer is just figure it out on your own because last thing I'm going to do is force my thoughts or my opinions on them. But I think it's interesting that like for me personally, I looked at religion and I would question religion. And because I was born in Utah, the predominant religion here obviously is um, Mormons. So I had that base that I was questioning and looking at, but it's all Christianity to a certain extent, especially, I mean, there's vast differences. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but (laughs) it's that belief in, you know, the higher power and all that kind of stuff. Um, But nothing ever really fit. Nothing ever really made sense to me. And so... Like, what was some of the big things that you were questioning, you know, maybe when it came specifically to the Catholic faith, what were some of the big things that you're like, well, this doesn't quite fit or this doesn't quite resonate with me? I think that where where it started was, and I don't even know if at that age I could articulate this is what it was, but that... Are those church it, bells in the background? They are very, very fitting. I, That's awesome. I actually, the, again, this perfect for this, this conversation <laughs> right beside where I live is the bit, one of the biggest Catholic churches in the whole city, which there's, there's a lot of Catholic churches around. 
And I, I live right next to it. And these bells, which they're actually mod right now, they'll, they'll probably get louder. They <laughs> they play pretty often. And it's pretty funny because they're, they play songs that I recognize from my childhood. And uh, I just use them as my, they're my mindfulness bells. They're an opportunity to just pause and to just experience the pure sensation of the sound arising and then dissipating and and but it's it's they trigger me sometimes i mean they trigger me on when i'm not ready for them just i one of my triggers from ptsd is an unexpected noise i can feel it's like i can feel my amygdala kick on fighter flights in gear and i'm ready to rock and i've gotten what what yoga and meditation have done for me is that when that happens now i'm able to very quickly realize what happened and just be in my body and observe the sensations and let them dissipate. Whereas in the past, my system was hijacked and I was in a confrontation or, or whatever. I was, I was in action before, before, um, before I even had time to actually, uh, I was reacting without responding, but yeah. the, the practices of mindfulness have created that, that buffer space. Um, and I was, I was thinking, so when I talk about this, it's always worth mentioning that there is a good side to this. You would get this probably as a first responder too, is that when you're trained, when you're trained to be able to react, uh, in the midst of your fight or flight response and to, and to still, it's kind of like both at the same time, you're, you're reacting, but also responding is a few years back, uh, there, a neighbor of mine was trapped. He, he was, uh, elderly i think in his like mid to late 80s so he was already kind of uh, not walking very well and he'd been smoking a, a pipe and it he fell asleep while he was doing it and it caught the kitchen on fire and he was trapped and his wife came running down the street and said help we need to get him out and my brother was with me too and uh we tried to get to him from the front door and the kitchen was in the way back but the smoke was so bad that we couldn't make it through and we ran around to the, the kitchen but the the door was the kitchen door was locked. It was dead bolted and the handle was locked. And, and I'm a, I'm a small guy. I'm 140 pounds soaking wet. And in one kick, or it might've been more than one, I, a couple kicks. I kicked that, the lock through that door, went in by, my brother hadn't even came in behind me. I went in, picked up this guy who weighed about 180, 180 pounds and fireman carried him out in, into the yard. And that whole thing happened without me. I never once had to stop and think about anything. I was in, I had trained to be able to respond in that and just, and just acted and was very efficient at it. And I've been in some other situations on a severe where some, some type of level of response was, was needed in order to help or save someone. And, um, I just always like to bring that up too, that there's a, there's a positive side to that too. So that when we become more aware of when our system goes into that mode and when we need to use it, then it's there and we're able to use it. But most of the time, 99% of the time, we don't need to use it. And it's learning to tell our system that, that things are okay. And I don't know how much of a, this is kind of a tangent, but it's related to the work I do with veterans is that whether you're a veteran with trauma or you're just a human living in our modern society, our nervous systems have not evolved. They're still at that level of survival that we were thousands of years ago when we were hunter gatherers and our nervous system needed to be on high alert for, for many reasons related to survival. And we're, we're, our evolution is not caught up with our, the brain, our nervous system is not caught up with where we're at. So we all live in a state of slightly 
or even more than slightly activated in the sympathetic nervous system, that fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, so what I, what I love about mindfulness-based practices is they're not this like instant miracle for that. They bring a greater awareness to just start to tune into our nervous system and be able to observe it and have some some pretty simple tools that when it when the gas pedal gets stuck down that we can we're able to pump the brakes by just becoming more present and taking a couple breaths um so that, that was a little bit of a tangent there but <laughs> no it's good stuff and yeah. i think uh i think it is important to, you know because it is there are positive things that do come out of that um having these experiences that may you know the outcome may be yes ptsd and some experiences that you have to kind of learn to manage and cope and move through but it is good to have that skill set that basis and as you're sitting here talking, it's making me think about, um, you know, when it comes to mindfulness and some of the different practices that, you know, people will implement in their life, such as yoga or whatever the case may be, there's breathing techniques a lot of times associated with it, obviously. And mm. it's very important to focus on your breath and to learn how to breathe fully and completely and all those kind of things, you know, breath work in general. And it made me remember back, you know, there's a, I don't know if you ever had any, um, Oh, I guess actual training or, you know, actual like, uh, awareness or if it was just more of a thing where you were, you know, it just becomes natural in the process of going through, um, you know, military training and things like that, but a uh, combat breathing and how that's designed to focus your breath in a specific way in order to stay present in those moments, in those fight or flight instinctual moments where you have to focus and still move forward and, so it just, you know, because I've gone through some of those trainings, I had to ex not experiment, I had to implement and practice and do a lot of those things as a police officer to stay engaged in incredibly stressful situations where, you know, the, um, it's not the fight or flight, it's the, uh, God, what the hell is it? Oh my goodness, like your perception, like tunnel vision, that's what it is. That's, oh, that's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Where your, you know, your breath will, where you, you will hold your breath and your vision will start to kind of get very, very focused and very, um, so you have to break out of that. And it just made me realize that some of those techniques that I used to do in those, um, moments and in those stressful situations, uh, I mean, that's just a mindful, that's a, that's a mindfulness technique or action just on an opposite end of the spectrum. Cause I'm obviously, you know, I'm not sitting in a, <laughs> in a quiet meditative <laughs> state at the moment. But yet I have to really focus my mind and my body to communicate effectively in order to continue through whatever it was that I was doing. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, exactly. It makes perfect sense. And it, it's actually, it's, it's really great because um, it, it's, a, it's a really accessible entry point for sharing these practices with the military and law enforcement communities uh, from, a, from a perspective of trying to help them to just feel a little less stressed. Because that's it's you say, you know, just about anyone, I think, in the military in some way was trained if for no, nothing else to train how they regulate their breath when they're shooting, even if they didn't have a specific training on kind of what you're talking about. I think that that it's usually at least wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. So and it, it's awesome because it's like, well, here you got especially with a group of veterans that are not feeling so great. I, I'll work sometimes at like a retreat where they're there for for healing and it's intense work and 
they'll do some yoga as part of it. And by the time they come into the room with me to do yoga, they're just, they're exhausted and they just want to lay on the floor and breathe. And that's, and that's, it's not just like, that's it. That's the deep yoga right there. And they're willing, they're way more willing than, than a lot of other populations would be because they know the value of breath because they've seen it before. So you get them on the floor, you get them comfortable enough that, that they can let go a little bit. And then you just guide them through the breath and then the breath drops their nervous system into relaxation response. And then, you know, then we set the conditions for them to have whatever experience they need to have. And that's when the healing will happen is when, you know, in that state of relaxation. So yeah, the breath is, it's huge. It's, it's so powerful and can be so simple too. It does, there's a lot of complicated breathing practices, but there's a lot of really straightforward ones that are just as effective. So let's go into... I'm really enjoying this, by the way, because I'm sitting here. We've got like a thousand different things coming through my head that we could talk about. But <laughs> it's good stuff. I, yeah. But um, tell me a little bit about your your spiritual growth and your spiritual experience in regards to going from you know somebody that was in the Navy, uh, going through college, going through all those experiences that you did, to now where you are, you know, kind of practicing and working in the space of helping people through trauma with energy work and healing and yoga and all those kind of different things. What was and this the, is actually, go ahead. Go, I was going to say, this is the opportunity to finally tie this back in and answer your question that sent me off on that tangent. Um, when the <laughs> church bells started was that I think the thing that started me really on my spiritual path to, to be a, a seeker is the, the term I like. And I think a lot about languaging as a yoga instructor, because the language really matters. I mean, it, that's the paradox of language. It, it both really, really matters because it's these symbols that convey the meaning of our intentions. But then at the same time, when, when the languaging doesn't resonate, we can just slough it off and say, well, it's just words. But uh, I, seeking is, is kind of a good word. It implies a level of striving, but it's not, to me, seeking is just about asking the questions and being willing to not know and just staying really curious. Um, so where that started was probably back in high school when I realized what I didn't like about the Catholic religion was that it was a very top-down fear-based approach. It was all about using fear to motivate you to act in a moral way. And that was what I started questioning, especially this was, I, I think, yeah, this was in the mid-90s. This is before a lot of the abuse scandals were out. But it was still, there were some weird dynamics of being around, nothing happened to me personally, but just the dynamics of being around priests and just really starting to question all that. And what I now, what I definitely can articulate is that to me, the reason why that doesn't resonate is that the experience of spirituality of spirit is the complete opposite. It is, it is love. It is a, it is a vibration that is higher and the complete opposite of fear. It is love. So that was, that was what probably started to peel back the lid and get the questioning process. And if you wanted to pinpoint when, when my spiritual awakening began, I would say it was probably way back then when even if I couldn't put it into words, that's what I was questioning. So then we fast forward. I (laughs) I agree with you. And it's, it is that, that seeking, that wondering, that, that constant state of kind of, you know, not just accepting what you're being told or accepting that status quo and for me personally, it's challenging my own beliefs, my own thoughts as well. So even though it's the Energy is Love podcast and I think the universe spins on this big ball of energy and all that bullshit, 
I still question that. I still, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe there is some old white man sitting up on a cloud somewhere that's ruling over, or maybe this all just is, you know, happenstance and we're going to go back to the earth after we die and we don't really have a spirit or a soul or energy behind anything. I constantly question and seek and wonder, even though I, I have peace in my beliefs, even though I bring, you know, I have comfort and um, happiness in the space of being at peace, I guess, with some of my beliefs. I still like that, um, that constant game, I guess. And I guess it is sort of a game to a certain extent, especially when you play it with yourself and the way that you kind of think through things. But I like that. I, I think that that's an important aspect of not just spiritual growth, but growth as a human, you know, where you want to be constantly looking for different things and different answers and all those kind of things. Yes, I, I think that's a fantastic space to be in where where you are willing to question and at the same time you you might have certain ideas or beliefs that you gravitate toward, but to still within that container hold space for anything to be possible. Because I the more that I my own experiences unfold and my understanding evolves it's i think anything is possible if we can think it it's possible and maybe that image of the the guy with the long white beard up in the sky maybe you know he has a couple of unicorns surrounding him and it's all you know it's all it's all possible so it's and i totally possible. agree it's, it's important to just keep the possibilities open and to keep asking the questions so i i totally agree with you and that's why it's fun to just have these conversations you know so what was the, um, like what for you was the first thing that when it came to, because there's one thing to think about things on a deeper level and there's one thing to kind of take within your own space, spirituality to a certain extent and have a spiritual practice. But what for you was a tipping point where you actually started to work with energy, think about it in a different way and start trying to incorporate it when you're helping other people? For sure, it was the undertaking of my initial yoga teacher training because um, that was prior to that i i'd known that i wanted to share the practices of yoga with others because i had found so much healing and empowerment in them i wanted to be able to share them with other people and prior to actually taking the training it had been a, a full probably four or five years that i knew i wanted to and just for various reasons wasn't in the space to to undertake it financially and otherwise. And, uh, I think once I finally took the training, one big thing was that I was saying to the universe, I'm committed, I'm going to do this. And basically once, once that happened, everything, because I stepped into it and everything just started to, to unfold. I mean, it was really like, it really blows me away when I think of how the universe stepped in and we don't even have time, but I can sit here and tell you of all these synchronicities and the way everything has aligned since then and that was back in the fall of 2014 and it's just been this beautiful journey of one thing leading to another and uh the starting to share the practices with others deepened my own practice and then as my own practice deepened i turned towards getting interested in the energy body and what happened was eventually and i believe it just took me that long to be ready i i differentiated earlier about meditation yoga it's, it's you know meditation is yoga but i wasn't ready for what for 
lots of different reasons to actually undertake uh, a formal seated meditation practice for many years. And it, it finally all kind of built up to that uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I started and committed and it, it's become, it's become a huge part of my practice in my life ever since to have no matter what else I'm doing to always have that formal seated is mindfulness meditation with some uh, meta or loving kindness as well. And that was really, that was when things really started to shift because that led me into the, the energy healing. Uh, it, it, it started my experiences, my, First-hand experience of the energy body started to shift, and then I became interested in Reiki, and the Reiki led me to the the crystal healing therapy, and uh, that's that's pretty much where things continue to move. And what's really awesome is now I'm able to blend all those modalities in in both the group settings when I'm teaching what's labeled as a quote-unquote yoga class. I'm bringing I'm able to bring a lot of that other stuff in. Um, and in my one-on-one work with people, I, I, it's kind of like I have all these tools and we can pick and choose what's going to work for that individual and their needs in that moment. So it's, it's just, and it's interesting because things just keep continuing to, to come out of it. So I, I never know where it's going to lead, but there's no doubt that once I leaned into teaching yoga, which was, like I said, a few years ago, everything's just kind of started to, to come out of that. What's one of the um, craziest, because I always think it's fun to <laughs> get people's explanations or understandings of some of the shit that happens in meditation when you're out there in the space of whatever it is that you're out there in. What's some of the uh, craziest stuff that you've seen or experienced or gone through, whether it be through meditation or some sort of, you know, out-of-body experience in a dream state or whatever? Can you think of one? I Yeah, it's hard because it's like, I, I think, you know, when we... When we talk about all of this stuff, we're, we're using language and words to try to describe the indescribable. But what else do we have to use? You know, um, I don't, you know, I don't think that I've had any, what I would say crazy experiences. I'm, I'm very much somatic with my, I'm very much, it's like feeling and felt senses of things. Uh, I'm not big on, on visuals. I've definitely had lots of experiences of, uh, what, what the yogis might call samadhi, that, that kind of the, the veil, the illusion of, of separateness has been washed away, even if it's just for a second. And, you know, of course, this, the, the third dimensional perception of time is also washed away. So it's like, I don't know how long these experiences have lasted. And furthermore, there's even in the yoga sutras, which was the sage Patanjali laid out um, basically the scope and practice of yoga. And he describes that there's, I believe that there's nine different types of this samadhi experience, which we might also call nirvana or, or nibbana. And so it's, it's implying that there's different layers and levels to it. And I've purposely never read that much about them because I don't want to put in some preconceived notion of, of what they're supposed to be. And furthermore, I don't even practice I don't practice with any goal of ever achieving enlightenment or having any kind of specific experience. It's, it's a direction on the compass because the path that is part of, part of that process is worth walking. But I really come to it from a space of using the practices to heal myself 
so that in my direct experience, I can help share these tools with others to help them heal themselves. And then collectively, as we evolve together, we're easing our suffering and we're, it's just, you know, that we're in this together as, as we and the earth and everything's evolving. Um, so to me, really the, the most profound experiences I've had are sharing these practices with groups of people where it's not as this intimate work as it would be when I'm, when I'm on my own meditating or one-on-one -on, -one on the massage table with the crystals and the Reiki. It's in these, these group settings where when I, when I do my job properly, it's not always easy and I step out of the way and it's, it's not about the ego involved and I've done enough to keep my vessel a clear and perfect channel. The, the teachings in the healing in the form of what I'm saying flows through me and they aren't even my words and they're reaching people on levels and multiple people at a time where they're having really deep experiences. So there you have a room full of people all having, or maybe not all, but many people having different levels of experiences and that experience they're having is exactly what they need in that moment and it's serving them. And, you know, sometimes tears are flowing and to me that's just, and I'm, when I'm in that, I'm not, I'm not having their experience. I'm just holding space. I'm just trying to create a container for it to happen. So my, my direct experience of it is nothing I would label as special or magical or spiritual, but it blows me away to think that I can do my little part to set the conditions for people to have whatever experience is going to serve their highest good in that moment. And that, that to me is just, it's so humbling and it's amazing in its own right. Do you think that there's, um, do you think that there's a, a feeling in that space? So if we think about, you know, cause you describe it beautifully, the way that you are just kind of holding space and almost like, um, you know, the words that are coming out of you and the things that you're saying and the, and the kind of the path that you're taking people down almost is just you as that channel for the energy to flow. But when you're in that space, don't you think that there's kind of a feeling, um, that you recognize? Does that make sense? Where, like yes. you can almost feel, you know, okay, you know, this is, I can remember what it felt like. And then I get back to that space. I'm like, oh, that feeling's coming up. I can tell that we're in a good flow of whatever it is, whether we want to think of it as energy or whatever the case may be. But there's like a vibration or a feeling in a space like that where you know that something kind of magical is happening, even though it's not like you're the magician that's, <laughs> you know, making the magic happen. You're, no, you're totally correct. I, I'm not sure how I even really glossed over that because that actually, that experience has happened. I, I was kind of saying there's times when I'm just holding the space and my, my direct experience of it isn't magical. But actually, you're right. That's, it's not like it happens every single time, but sometimes there, there is a very special energy that happens in that collective effort of everyone focusing their intention. And in the exact word to describe it is, magical i mean it's nothing short of that i my most recent memory of that and it, it happens on different levels but when it truly blows me away a good example is uh it was the winter solstice the, this past one I, I believe it was december 21st this year uh i i like to hold special yoga classes on the earth holidays the solstices the equinox because they're they're such a an awesome time to have a a spiritual practice where our intention is to align with the rhythms of nature and to find the the harmonic the harmony the resonance that comes from being in line with that so they're really special times to practice anyway and it just so happened that the the way the class worked out 
And of course, it's a winter solstice class. So we were very much honoring the the eternal dance of Shiva Shakti, the play of dark and light and how and how really winter solstice is. It's the celebration of that. We've come into the darkest that three day period where the sun stopped its movement and we're, we're dwelling in that darkness that is pregnant with possibility for the light to be born again. And in the midst of this really deep practice, it was a very slow inward turning practice. And the very ending of it was a, a guided, um, it's called yoga nidra. It's yogic sleep. It's, it's meant to through a guided deep relaxation. It, it gets you into, uh, what the yogis call the fourth state of consciousness, Turiya. It's in between wakefulness and the dream state. And it's this, it's like hypnagogic and it, you're, your subconscious is able to interact on deep level. It's, it's a really pretty amazing experience. And it's, it's relatively easy for most people to experience because it's guided. You just get comfortable and you listen to the guidance. And I hadn't even planned to do it. I, I tend to not plan my yoga classes. Maybe I'll have a, a concept. But again, if I'm doing my job, it flows out of me and I, I don't have to overthink of it. And what happened during this class was it, it came toward the ending and I, I did this spontaneous yoga nidra practice based on the energies of of the darkness being in the dark space and the light that emerges from that and it, it was truly magical no, no doubt about it and the practice ends and a lot of people i could just tell on their face or they said things to me had this deep experience what unbeknownst to me what was happening in nature right around us because the studio uh the only window that the light would have been coming in at that time was was dark and we were I had all the lights down towards the end of the practice and so I had we had no connection to the outside at that at that point and it just so happened that the end of that practice perfectly matched up with the very end of the the sunset and the next the people from the next class were coming in and they they were all kind of like they came into the space and they could feel that, that what we would call in yoga, like the bob, the energetic residue that was still in that space. They could feel it as they came in, but they were also bringing in the, this, this energy. And what had happened was this crazy, thankfully, uh, one of my friends that had come in for the next yoga class took some pictures on her phone. This amazing sunset, which we don't in here in this part of the country, we don't get many amazing sunsets. We sit in this little valley. Our sky is usually clouded over. And it was so colored and it was this, these swirling patterns of light and dark together. And so while I was because, because I had truly in that moment stepped out of my own way, I was a channel. I believe that, that the energy of what was happening, Mother Nature's energy, those the words that were coming through that experience was truly resonating with what was happening. And it, it wasn't me. That was that was not me that made that happen. I was just the vessel for it. And. Yeah, no doubt about it. That magical is the only word that can describe that. That's so cool, man. See, I love, I, I just love shit like that. When, <laughs> when those things all align and meet up, and it, I always get such a kick out of thinking because it's not just you that's bringing energy to that space. It's the people that are coming to that class. It's the people that you're, you know, working with. It's, a, it's the people that you're helping. Everything has to align and coincide and sync up to make those experiences happen. And the part that always gets me too is because of the way that I believe and the way that I think in regards to energy and how we're all interconnected and how we're all, you know, parts and pieces of one another and everything else that spins out there in the universe. Um, it is you that is making that magic happen because you're, 
you know, you're the sun that's setting, you're the light coming from the sun, you're the dark. I mean, you're just all of those things combined just as everybody else is. And then my brain just explodes in this awesomeness of, ah, mm-hmm. that's so neat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's something I like to think about as long as I, I mean, the, the practices of, of, of yoga and Buddhism, they're very much about what, that's what I like about them is they're not telling anyone really what to do or what to think. It's, it's asking you to have it, have this at the experiential level and then make your own decisions from it. And what, what we see is that when we turn inward and we view the, the microcosm of this entire universe that's happening inside, that it is, it's the same. It's just a smaller version of what's happening on the outside. And, uh, we, what you're saying about like it, that it, it's not me, but it is me that I, I always think about this and I bring this into the yoga space a lot. The Incan, the Inca, the ancient civilization, the Incas, their word for the human body was Alpacamasca. And it literally translates as animated earth, which is really cool to think about, like animated earth that we are not separate from the earth, that we come out of it. We're just a chunk of earth that's animated. And yoga would say that our, our outermost layer or innermost, depending on what perspective you take, the Anamaya Kosha is which the coasts are like the sheaths. We have our energy bodies, the mental body, the emotional body, and the spirit body. The, the outer or innermost sheath, the, the thickest sheath is our Anamaya Kosha, is the food body. It, it is made of the food we eat. It's made of the earth. And uh, so, yeah, you're, you're totally right. When, you, when we are having those experiences, that's why that the, the illusion of separation that, that, that even if it's not totally removed, it's, it becomes a lot thinner because we're starting to get out of the, the dualistic thinking that, that comes with so much of our time here in the third dimension. And we move into these other vibrations where it is, it, it all becomes one. So I would like to think what was happening in that space was that all of us collectively as a group to some level, we, we stepped out of the small sense of self and what was happening around us was happening within us at the same exact time. You know what I think is also neat to think about is you host that event. You, you know, you have that thing that happens and goes on right at that exact moment in time and it directly influences, um, not just the people there, not just the vibration and the energy in the room, but also, you know, of your little space in the, in the cosmos and in the planet and in the universe where you say, we don't need, we don't typically get sunsets that are that beautiful and perhaps the reason that was so beautiful was because of what was taking place and the interconnectedness of all of it and that's the part that i like (laughs) i i love that yeah yeah exactly that it's that it you can't when you really you can't pinpoint which one was influencing creating the other it was it was it was just happening it just was it was all part of that that experience yeah yeah i and and to even i like the idea too to to take that further that it does matter that's why i was kind of saying i love that this is the podcast for the universe like so we just created another layer by talking about this now these vibrations of this are being broadcast out into the universe it's it's like it's happening again somewhere in some space and time and it's it's just uh yeah i that's what i like to trip out on is that it's it's like it's we're taking the energy of that and we're it it keeps it it continues for sure (laughs) most definitely (laughs) Anthony, I think I could talk to you for like another hour and a half, man. This has been awesome. Likewise, brother. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely the, the one one thing I wanted to add because this was something I was thinking about. And I figured you, I would like to hear what you think about it, kind of along these same lines of what you're just talking about. We could wrap up on this maybe. 
is just this idea that um, that, that there is no there's no separation that the, the entire universe, which I we this we probably shouldn't go on this tangent, but that this I like to think that we are just one of many many universes. But this universe itself is what we experience as what the yogis would call sponda. It's it's the pulse of creation and it's the entire universe is breathing even though it's expanding it still pulses in and out so it inhales and it expands and then it exhales and it recoils just a little bit and there's a, there's like a momentary pause and then it breathes again and it expands so because the micro and the macro are, are the same then within the universe we have our mother earth planet gaia is is here and she's this living breathing organism and then we have all of us on this earth that I think of like we're kind of like just like we have trillions of cells in our body, which about at least half of them aren't even actually human cells, that all of the living inhabitants of planet Earth are just her cells. And the 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 bone structure of Mother Earth are the crystals, which is why there's we didn't get to talk about the crystals a lot because we talked about a lot of other stuff. But that's why I think they have a role, because we we're all part of this evolution that's happening and our personal evolution is part of the macro level evolution, which is tied up with mother earth. So we're all this organism that's breathing in and out. Our whole purpose is to continue evolving together. And that's why, again, taking time and having a space to have conversations like this is so important because it, it, it plays a role in all of that. So that's my neat little, I'm going to tie our conversation up in that neat little bow and pull it all back together with that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best way for people to find you? Um, I, I've yet, I think it's moving that direction. I don't have a, a website yet, but it's seeming like that could be uh, useful. But right now, Facebook probably. Um, my personal page, you can find me at Anthony Scaletta, S-C-A-L-E-T-T-A. And then I have my if you want to call it business page for our, for all the healing related stuff I do, which is yoga Vita. So Y O G A. And then the next word is Vita V I T A. So you can find me on there or you can email me at anthony.scaletta at gmail.com. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much. Once again, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. It, it was truly uh, an honor and privilege to get to have this conversation with you. So I, I look forward to uh, seeing what, what comes out of it. <laughs> well, everybody go out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, wonderful day. The experience of spirituality, of spirit, is the complete opposite. It is, it is love. It is, a, it is a vibration that is higher and the complete opposite of fear. It is love. The yoga was the lifeline that kind of kept me going in, in the right direction. A lot of our suffering comes from our inability to accept the impermanence and the change that's always happening. We're dwelling in that darkness that is pregnant with possibility for the light to be born again.